And I'm just like, whatever you do, just be safe. Because I don't know if you know this yet, but we're old. Yeah. The body just can't deal deal with with it anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to the newest episode of Rabbit Holes Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Elise. And I'm your other host, Andy. And welcome back to the show. Woo! Speaking of getting old, our show is now in its 40s. Woo! <laughs> so, yeah, it's. Uh, oh, wait. What? 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 Oh. Uh, it's somebody's birthday week! Woo! There you go. Aww. Happy birthday. Wait. What? No. No, but. What is it? <laughs> oh. Get back there. They're not helium, are they? No, they're not helium. Like, did you not listen to the episode? I know. That's what I was going to say. They're not helium. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. So Andy has a giant bouquet of balloons, which I realized I probably haven't had to blow up balloons in, like, 10 years, and the cats have definitely never seen them. (laughs) And Wellington was super into them, and Maggie was not. (laughs) So. (laughs) Yay. So this show comes out on Sunday and your birthday is on Monday. So I figured this was the time to celebrate. It is. Woohoo! But I also have the... I have a birthday crowd coming together. (laughs) I have a birthday girl um, um, ribbon. And you can have one of these blow thingies too. I thought they would make like the fun annoying noise, but... Oh, I could have brought those. I had those at the house. Because <laughs> someone gave them in a, in a loot bag. Because some of that someone hates parents. <laughs> well, it's gotten stuck. Well, you can have the other four in the bag. Yes. Make sure you put that on. Ooh, and then we have these for you. <gasps> Birthday presents. Birthday presents. <gasps> Not as extra as the uh, ladies from. No, this is true. Yay, very mature. <laughs> so yes, the top one I got super excited when I saw it and I picked it up. And then you emailed me that they were making you record hours at your new job, and I was like, yes, I got her the perfect gift. Then you're like, it's okay. I went out and bought two really cute notebooks, and I was like, God damn it, Andy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I figured this one because it had a oh rabbit on it. You'd at least use it for the show, if not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and this one is for your new office, so you can decorate it and prepare your geekness to your host. That's like my motto for life. (laughs) Hold on tight. Let's pretend it's a plan. Yep. Uh, So they're all Doctor Who quotes to inspire you through the day. Almost crying. Almost there. (laughs) So yeah. Well, thank you. Fun, happy birthday times. Yay. (laughs) Yay. 
and you got to wear that whole get up for the entire show now. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Woohoo! Also, you have to take the balloons home because I don't know what the cats will do with that. That's fine. The kids will love them. <laughs> yes. And I'd be worried of waking up at 3 a.m. because Wellington decided to chew on one of them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, it's your birthday episode. So you get to decide if you want to go first or not. I will go first. Let it go then. Jump into your story. So uh, this one is game shows. Yes. I fell down this rabbit hole because of that. Wait, Trailer. For the show, Holy Moly, the game show of Extreme Mini Putt. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm I'm on board now. (laughs) So game shows is that staple of TV since Will TV started. It's what you watched when you're with your parents after dinner, before bed, or when you were home from school sick. Mm -hmm. And that's back before the 24-hour cartoon networks. Yes. So back when we were young, you pretty much only had Young and the Restless and the soaps and some yeah. daytime talk shows and prices right to watch when you were a kid homesick. Yeah. You could get away with staying up to watch the trashy talk shows like Sally, Jesse, Raphael and Montel Williams because you had just woken up from bed. So you couldn't go take a nap and then you got to eat macaroni and cheese for lunch while or watching Prices Right. Or lifting cup of soup. It depended on if mom or dad were home. I'll give That's you true. that. And uh, then you had to pretend to nap the afternoon away. (laughs) Yeah, so um, there's always a game show on air, but they've definitely been heydays of the genre. Mm -hmm. Uh, Currently, game shows are popular for networks in the summer because they are cheap to produce, family friendly, and get decent summer ratings because you're not aiming for... Yeah. So you're just aiming for good summer rating. So the trailer for The Holy Moly, which is what I said started me down this rabbit hole... Uh, is about people playing extreme mini golf. It looks so stupid. (laughs) And here's a description that ABC has been using. So it says, ABC will premiere the miniature golf competition series Holy Moly June 20th. ABC is on board for 10 episodes. In each episode, a dozen contestants compete on an epic obstacle golf course. (laughs) Like I said, this sounds dumb. Yep. Um, and then I thought of the last few years, there have been game shows that are trying, game shows have been trying to make a comeback. So here's a few of the ones that I could think of. It's Beach Shazam, hosted by Jimmy Fox, where the song lyrics and music are played, and the contestants have to guess the song before the software Shazam. Okay. So you know the app, right? Yes. So they literally, that's one of the first two app-based oh, uh, game shows I gotta tell you about. But I would assume if Shazam doesn't win in the first 10 seconds the shazam developers are going to lose a lot of future clients <laughs> i mean if you can't beat the machine in that or if, like if you can beat the machine in that the machine's got a problem well i think uh, i've only saw a little bit of it but it, they've used really like the uh easier the songs at the start okay so those songs that you should be able to get at sort of the same time as those songs that we all know the opening numbers of. Babel right. Riley, Stairway to Heaven, Proud Mary, like... My problem is I hear about it, oh, it's that, that song by that guy with the face and the thing. You and would then, not do well on that No, song. I would not. <laughs> uh, or Candy Crush Saga had a TV show, like a game show, where people, like this Candy Crush app basically Uh on a big giant screen and they sometimes had to like hang from the ceiling as they tried to like get themselves close enough to swipe 
it was dumb. I don't think it lasted very long. I don't remember. I think it was like Mario Lopez was might have been the host of that one. That doesn't surprise me at all. Exactly. Does it surprise you? It does not also make me miss paying for cable. <laughs> yeah, I stumbled upon that one because I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Uh, so what classifies a game show? Well, a game show is a type of radio, television, or stage show in which contestants individually or as teams play a game which involves answering questions or solving puzzles, usually for money or prizes. Okay. Sounds pretty standard. Uh, game shows often reward players with prizes such as cash, trips, and goods and services provided by the show's sponsors. As I've said, they've been around forever. For at least since the 1930s, when the very first television game show, Spelling Bee, as well as the first radio game show, Game Show Information Please, were broadcast in 1938. Hmm. The first major success in the game show genre was Dr. IQ, a radio quiz show that began in 1939. Truth or Consequences was the first game show to air on commercially licensed television which was CBS. Hmm. So I, I'm assuming it's like truth or dare. Yeah, I think so. Uh, eh, blah, 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 blah. Over the course of the 50s, television started to become more popular in more people's homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, game shows quickly became a lineup fixture. Daytime game shows would be played for lower stakes to target stay-at-home housewives, as okay. it was the 50s, with higher stakes programming would air in prime time. In 1954, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that quiz shows were not a form of gambling, and this allows shows to increase the prizes to unprecedented levels. Hmm. So before that, they were sort of limited, I guess, to how much like cash money and stuff they could get out. Right. Because of the laws around gambling. So the $64,000 question became the first big money television quiz show during the 1950s. So we think now of $64,000 is enough money, but it's not like... I'm not going to say no to a check, but like... You're not going to eat eyeballs for $64,000. No. But it was a really big money in 1950, because I think it debuted around 1952. So that's a uh, yeah. significant <laughs> amount of cash. Yeah. <laughs> like, you could buy two houses for that at that point. And I'm assuming it's because it's a, 64 is a multiple of something, like 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64. Look at the math skills. There you go. So in 1955, Joyce Brothers first earned fame by becoming the first woman to earn the $64,000 prize. Then it was revealed that the show was controlled and the producers did not want her to win. Uh-oh. So they deliberately gave her questions perceived to be beyond her ability, <laughs> which, like a bad bitch, she answered anyway. <laughs> correctly anyway. Of course. Sorry, Algonquin. <laughs> but she was. But not really. <laughs> but not really. Uh, in 1956, the show 21 featured a contestant, Herb Stemple, who was coached by producers to allow his opponent, Charles Van Dorn, to win the game. Stemple took the fall as requested, but a year later he told the New York Journal America that his winning run as champion on the series had been choreographed to his advantage and that the show's producer then ordered him to purposely lose his championship to Van Dorn. Without any proof, the article was never published, but then next year, another Max... A match-fixing scandal broke regarding the show called Dodo. I guess game shows have always had stupid names. <laughs> well, if you're flicking through the channel or looking at TV Guide, you're going to stop and wonder what is that. <laughs> uh, with three scandals, so all of them had been proven that they were all rigged. Hmm. Proven that like producers had picked who was going to win before. 
Okay. And people were taking falls or getting easy answers. So this caused ratings to plummet. Hmm. Uh, and then, uh, so a bunch of shows were canceled because no one's watching. You're no one's watching. Ads. Yeah. Uh, with the three scandals, I said the network ratings plummets and allegations of fixing caused a nine month long County of New York grand jury, but no indictments were handed down and the findings of the grand juries were sealed by the judge's order. But in 1960, the U.S. Congress amended the Com- Communications Act of 1934 to prohibit the fixings of, of quiz shows and game shows. As a result of that action, many networks canceled their existing quiz shows. <laughs> That's so a little... the ones that didn't get canceled with the original scandal, <laughs> when this new law came out, they're like, shit. <laughs> Bob. <laughs> it's not subtle at all no 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 no. it's like we can't run the show as we used to anymore so let's just pack her up and replace them with a higher number of public service programming no okay (laughs) most networks also imposed a winning limit on their existing and future game shows which would inevitably be removed by inflation and the rise of the million dollar jackpot game show starting in 1999 so up until 1999 this sort of cap from the 50s Mm -hmm. had lasted Right. And then, like, um, even if you look at Jeopardy up until uh, the first guy's massive run, they had, yeah, like... Ken Jennings. You were limited you had to five days. Five days. It was sort of part of that 50s, 1960s law. Do you talk uh, about Wheel of Fortune? Uh, eventually. Because if I remember right, the thing with them was you used to be able to come back, but then when the prizes started getting so big, they stopped that. And that's why there's never any repeats of the winners, uh. like you would see on a normal competition yeah, show sure. yeah so when the prizes got to be really expensive they stopped letting people continue well, makes... makes sense yeah i've never noticed that people don't come back and well, like i watched a lot of my parents love jeopardy they're lesser so wheel of fortune but wheel oh, of okay. fortune leads into jeopardy so. <laughs> yes i was like how often did you sit down and like actually watch a full episode but probably not all that often it used to frustrate the crap out of me because my mom could like pick it up like there'd be like two words on the board two letters on the board and she'd be like getting it and i'd be like you have to stop it's not fair to me and then we would watch jeopardy and she'd be like you have to stop answering it's not fair to me it was this whole thing seven o'clock was not good in our house (laughs) well i don't do well on wheel of fortune because i can't spell worth it Mm. but i do that might be my problem there too yeah i i don't i do pretty well on jeopardy when i know certain categories i can really Mm. clean up yeah but there's lots of categories like I don't know the periodic table all that well, so I have the first like sixteen memorized. It's like a holdover from like a really bad week of high school, but like beyond that, I'm with yeah. you. <laughs> uh, so in the 1960s, lower stake games made a slight comeback in daytime in the early 60s. This is uh, when I think a lot of the recognizable shows that we sort of think of as those sort of really cheesy mm-hmm. game shows that we could all think of in our head. Yeah. Such as Let's Make a Deal, The Match Game, Hollywood Squares, The Dating Game, The Newlywed Game, and my parents' favorite, Jeopardy. That all started in the early 60s. Literally, when you said lower stakes, uh, those were the shows that literally ran through my head. Family Feud was the only one missing from that list. We'll talk about that. Okay. (laughs) The 1970s saw a resurgence of the game show as a new games and massive upgrades to existing games made debuts on the major networks. Plus, the late 60s saw the debut of Color TV. Yes. So, The New Price is Right was an upgrade from the 50s era game show, The Price is Right, and now we just know it as The Price is Right again. Sort of like New Coke. The New didn't stay. Oh, they dropped the... 
Oh, so they dropped the the and then they picked it back up. Well, they call it the new Price is Right. Oh, I see. Because I the see. original was just called The Price, Price is, is right. right. But now yeah. we, and as all my life, I've only known it as The Price is Right. Yes. So. And they're still using the same logo and everything. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> same thing, right from the 70s. The new Price is Right debuted in 1972 and marked CBS's return to the game show format. The match game became Big Money Match Game 73. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, which was popular enough to prompt the spin-off of Family Feud. So Family Feud is a spin-off of Match Game. Oh. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, and that debuted on ABC in 1976. Hmm. The $10,000 Pyramid and its numerous high-stakes spin-offs and derivatives <laughs> also debuted in 1973 with the 1970s also also saw the return of the formerly disgraced producer and host Jack Barry he was the host of uh Dido and 21 question I think he was part of the scandals from the 50s right, about I've Reagan his shows heard of neither of those shows okay uh, who debuted the Joker's Wild okay. and a clean version of Tic Tac Doe Wheel of Fortune also debuted in 1975 they needed the technology to catch up to them. <laughs> uh, the primetime access rule, which took effect in 1971, barred networks from broadcasting in the 7 to 8 p.m. time slot immediately preceding primetime, opening up that time slot for syndicated programming. Hmm. So hmm. I wonder why they had that rule, though. I don't know. I didn't go into it. <laughs> I was like, I don't care enough about this a lot to go down a rabbit hole about it. Most of the syndicated program were nighttime adaptations. Sorry, I did air quotes. Nighttime <laughs> adaptations of network daytime game shows. These shows were originally aired once a week, but in the late 70s and the early 80s, most of those games had transitioned into five days a week. This time slot is where both Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortunes live to this day. Yeah. So that's why a lot of times you'll see seven to eight on the networks. They'll either show reruns or um, shows like Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune live in that time slot because yeah. of this rule from the 70s. I mean, what else are you going to watch at that time? Exactly. So it's too <laughs> early to put, too late to put on daytime stuff, too early to put on your nighttime stuff. Over the course of the late 80s and early 90s, game shows lost their place in the daytime lineup, with the exception of Price is Right. And cable television also allowed for the debut of new niche game shows, such as Supermarket Sweep on yes. Lifetime, Trivial Pursuit and Family Challenge on the Family Channel, and Double Dare on Nickelodeon. Cable stations also opened up a previously undeveloped market for game show reruns. General Interest Networks had popular blocks of game show reruns from the mid-80s to the mid-90s before that niche was overtaken by the game show network. We remember watching things like the Newlywed Game and those 60s and 50s shows on reruns. Like, I remember seeing some of them on reruns. I don't. No? All right. So those four or five years are big gap years, apparently, in terms of the syndicated uh, game show world. In the United Kingdom, game shows had a more steady and permanent place in the television lineup and never lost popularity in the 90s as they did in the States. Due to in part into the fact that the game shows were highly regulated by the Independent Broadcasting Authority in the 80s and that those restrictions were lifted in the 90s, allowing for higher stakes games to be played. So again, we're seeing this sort of change from yeah. small money to big money because that's what everybody wanted to see. I mean, yeah. 
The mid-90s saw the million-dollar game show craze hit with the surprise sleeper hit uh, of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah. Several shorter-lived high-stakes games were attempted around that time in the in the millennium, both in the United States and the United Kingdom, such as Winning Lines, The Chair, Greed, Shafted. Um, that is not... Uh, what's it? What the... They do the... Hmm. Uh, weakest link. Weakest link. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, Doctor Who, robot, <laughs> hair. I literally, I had to put on the f- voice in my head. Yeah, you are the weakest, that, weakest yeah, link. Yeah, yeah. Yes. that's where I had to start. Weakest it. link. That sort of period was dubbed this like game show craze, and we watched this blow up. Mm-hmm. Everybody watched like Millionaire, which I think is still on the air, but it's. Yeah, it went off the air for a little while, and then it came back... As a daytime... Yes. ...with Meredith from The View. Yes. Yes. And then it went away again, and now it's back. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Again, I don't have cable, but then I, like, see stuff online, and I'm just like, oh, here again, are we? (laughs) That was, like, a fun TV, but you're just like, really? This is how you got that answer? It's like, oh, well... The question, I think it's answer is Arkansas, but my brother-in-law lives in Texas, so that's not the answer. Yeah. It it makes sense that it hit when it did, because that was, like, the rise of the reality TV show, and so I think the, the high stakeness of it made it feel like a reality. Yes. More so than, like, Jeopardy ever did, so I think... I'm not surprised that it hit the way it did when it did. And it was such a brief window. So, like, it was the yeah. mid to late 90s. And then all of a sudden, by July tw- tw- 2000, pretty much all of those shows were canceled. Yeah. Gone away. With the exception of winning lines. And as we said, here in North America, we still have uh, a radiation of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire has been on the air on and off for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, with these higher stakes contests, nevertheless, open the door to reality TV show contests such as Survivor and Big Brother. There it is. In which contestants win large sums of money for outlasting their peers in a given environment. Literally the biggest douchebag wins. Yes. That's the premise of these shows. <laughs> like, that's just it. Yeah. At least, like, isn't it Big Brother people vote for the person who... So as long as you are creating enough drama for people to want to keep you in yeah or not make the like audience hate you too much you're fine yeah. so yes it's usually the biggest douche wins yeah <laughs> several game shows returned to daytime in syndication during this time as well such as family feud hollywood squares and millionaire as we already said and let's make a deal too yeah well let's make a deal comes a little bit later ah. so in the 2010 wheel of fortune jeopardy family feud and prices right were um, renewed. So that sort of was your staple. Those are your four, like those three have been on the air continuously since the 70s. Right. With Jeopardy even earlier. Um, Let's Make a Deal made a comeback uh, with a few changes. And to keep pace with primetime quiz shows, Jeopardy lifted its winning limit in 2003, which one year later allowed Ken Jennings to become the show's first million dollar winner. I think there's been two cents. Yeah. It's also increased the stakes of its tournaments and put larger focus on contestants with stronger personalities. Family Feud was revamped with a change in tone under host Stephen Harvey. Yep. Steve Harvey to be to include more suggestive humor. Yes. It's now just it, jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
with him like pretending he's scandalized at every turn. So in 2009, actress and comedian Kim Coles became the first black woman to host a primetime game show called Pay It Off, which I've never heard of. Me either. A boom in primetime revivals of classic game shows began to emerge in the mid 2000s. 2010s. In 2016, ABC uh, revived Celebrity Family Feud and the new versions of To Tell the Truth, The $100,000 Pyramid, and Match Game. TBS in turn launched a marijuana themed revival of <laughs> Joker's Wild, hosted by Snoop Dogg. Of course. Of course. And in October 2017, this, in addition to a number of original game shows concepts that appeared around the same time, they also revived things like Hollywood Game Night, One Versus 100, um, and this, some of these were new, Deal or No Deal, Child Support, which I've never heard of. Oh, I don't know if I, that yeah, sounds good. That does not sound good. <laughs> and Don't Forget the Lyrics, The Singing Bee, and as I said, Beat Shazam. So that brings us full circle, because yeah. we talked about Beat Shazam earlier. So what are some of the... F- worst sounding game show it's got to be a deep deep pool on that one. Oh, it is so i'll just take this list that i lazily found off of ranker i think it was so here is a few of the worst sounding game shows boom it's an adaptation of an israeli game show which contestants have to defuse a thankfully fake bomb before it detonates israeli though yeah, this, so this was an Israeli game show. and That it, feels like it's lacking a bit of cultural sensitivity in Israel. <laughs> uh, so can you guess what network? Fox. Yes. I have a feeling show. Fox is going to be the answer to most of these. <laughs> so what's inside these fake bombs? It's mystery slime. Ooh. So like, looks like pudding. Ooh. It could be anything from maple syrup to guacamole. Ugh. Yeah. Nickelodeon did it better, actually. Yeah. You can't do that on television, did it better. So, anyways. <laughs> uh, Naked Jungle from the UK. Nope. Build as the ultimate naturalist game show. It was pretty much your standard contestant complete an obstacle course format, except that everybody, including the host, was naked. See, the Brits get away with the wildest And it things. wasn't censored at all. This is like the 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 uh, plastic surgery shows that they have over there. <laughs> and it was frequently ranked amongst the worst programs to ever air on UK television. Oh, boy. Like, no, I'm sorry. I don't need some old or young guy's taint as he crawled under an obstacle. Like, that's not what I want to see. <laughs> no, I'm more worried about the ladies in the crowd who are, like, competing. I mean, if it's a sandy environment at all. Oh my god, I didn't even think of sand in the crop. Yeah, no. Who no one wants to... Yeah, no. no. I can guess what Algonquin's going to be cutting this week. <laughs> this one sentence. <laughs> Tour from Japan. Where, let's face it, some of the most messed up shows come from. Here, contestants have to answer answer general knowledge questions while a machine slowly and then rapidly mummifies them it's like jeopardy with the added fear of claustrophobia and immediate suffocation hard no hard no see that's not my it's not a thing i'd worry about it would just feel like you're getting bundled into burrito so i'd start answering questions slowly like yes take away my adulthood pain (laughs) (laughs) and for all those therapists listening (laughs) you can reach elite at rabbit holes podcast at gmail.com oh, i'm sorry did i reveal too much of myself 
Oh, this is an older one, but a doozy. Three's a crowd from the U.S. Three sets of wives and secretaries competed to see who knew their husband slash boss better. I remember this. This show was picketed by the National Organization for Women because it implied stereotypically intimate relationships between bosses and secretaries. This dumpster fire (laughs) had two kicks at the can. The original show ran from 79 to 1980. And then it was revived in 1999 to 2001. That's the one I remember. Yeah. Fox again. Right? No game show network. Oh, okay. The remake had a slight change with female parents with wife, mother, girlfriend, best friend, and so on. So it wasn't necessarily always secretaries because no one calls them secretaries in 1999. Uh, Apparently the game show network was big on showing reruns of the original show and its remake. Oh, boy. Yeah, even uh, was it, so the auto workers union also took like big back in the seventies took a big like offense to this show. <laughs> so I was like, this is the re- it's like it's like National Organization for Women and the auto workers union. They had a lot of female members. That doesn't surprise me. But, okay. Yeah, I was like, this kind of seems like a random pairing to like get together and try to get a show shut down. But yeah, mm-hmm. this one would have. Yeah, yeah. So, Labor Games from the U.S. I think I know this one. It's a bit like Humber- Hunger Games. The New York Times called this new offering on TLC simultaneously the most brilliant and the most head-shaking game show idea ever. On Labor Games, expected parents complete- competed to win prizes by answering trivia questions about child-rearing while the woman was giving birth. Yeah. And, like, the host was wearing, like, a blue, like, business suit, like, jacket and, like, pencil skirt. And, like, I was just like, this is all a mess. I don't know what's happening here. TLC on brand. (laughs) Uh, As someone in this room who has had two babies. Yeah. The odds would not be in the favor of that host if they showed up in my delivery room. (laughs) Because I would be strangling her. Yeah. Yeah. Not in her favor. Hurl from the US, not shocking. The premise is nauseatingly simple. The contestants who eat the most and then engage in physical activity without vomiting wins the Iron Stomach Award. So American, like peak American. So uh, this one is from the UK called You're Back in the Room. Five contestants engage in a series of a run-of-the-mill activities like ke- decorating cakes and making balloon animals. I don't know how that's run-of-the-mill. <laughs> what are you talking about? I do that at least twice a week. <laughs> to win cash. The catch? They're hypnotized. And the host keeps planting distracting suggestions in their minds. Clinical hypnotherapist has spoken out against the show, saying it exploits people in a vulnerable state for the sake of entertainment. Duh. <laughs> so is that how the British Empire grew so large? <laughs> no, that was money. But like, of course, all television is about exploiting <laughs> people in vulnerable forms. Yes. <laughs> so this one is a, a great one from Colombia. So the name of this in Spanish is I'm not even going to try, but it's called Nothing But the Truth when you translate it. The premise was extremely simple. A contestant was hooked up to a polygraph and then asked a series of questions, which he or she had to answer truthfully to win some money. 
The questions would get increasingly personal and more embarrassing as the prize value increased. The show was adapted in several countries, including, of course, the U.S. Yeah, that's the one I'm... Yeah. Where it was called The Moment of Truth. And it was canceled in Colombia after a contestant admitted that she had paid a hitman to kill her husband. Dang. And on the U.S. version, a woman admitted that she still had feelings for her ex-boyfriend and had cheated on her husband. Yikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why yeah. do you go... Like, what is your best case scenario when you agree to go on that show? How badly do you need some money? Well, it's America, so also the whole labor and delivery, like, if you got to pay off the hospital bills, like, guess, yeah. so, yeah. But, like, you, do you think they're not going to touch the, the boyfriend situation? Like, that's, like, basic fodder for any time you're trying to make someone uncomfortable as you go up and ask them about their ex, right? Like, Or just ask about the relationship in general. Yeah. Like, so, like, was she best case scenarioing it out in her head and thinking, like, it's not going to come up? It'll be fine. I'll be able to lie through it. Yeah, I'll beat the machine. Like, come on. Also, just lie and lose. Yeah. But then, I guess you lie and lose and someone knows. But then but it's then... like those shows who decided to voluntarily go off the air once they can no longer rig them. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like... We all know what's happening here. Yeah. <laughs> so, strip the girl from Japan. Contestants tried to knock out numbered panels in order to reveal a woman's naked body. Ugh. <laughs> That's actually the sound that I had written out. <laughs> uh, also from the U.S., my dad is better than your dad. Oh, no. Even super producers can have a dud once in a while. This show was super producer Mark Burnett's once in a while, but okay. <laughs> okay, so he could have some more duds, but this is like a super turd. Right. Okay. Like he laid just a giant steaming. Okay. Like, our neighbor's dog, Daisy, came over and pooped in my backyard today. <laughs> this was that. This short-lived show hosted four fathers and their kids competing against each other in four rounds of stunts and questions. Plus, there was a bonus round calling My Dad Knows Me Better. Which sounds like this is just a recipe for future therapy bills. Yeah, I, was just, I was just thinking that. Like, just make sure they give you like a VHS copy or like a DVD and like put it in the safety deposit vaults and then with any winnings because you're going to need that for therapy later. Yes. And then when Junior ends up falling in love with like a car or a refrigerator, you can now point back to where and how that happened. <laughs> so this one, I had already sort of done this when I found this one last night, like I'd already finished this and I was like, so the most crazy one is this nugget from the UK called Don't Scare the Hair. So see if this makes any sense to you. Okay. Host Jason Bradbury pretended to live in a magical forest where his only companion was a giant robotic rabbit. Following me so far? No, you lost me back at the forest, but continue. Contestants would then engage in a series of stunts. If any of them did something wrong, loud noises would frighten the robot robotic rabbit, causing it to run around and metal squeak in robotic terror. <laughs> Why? Successful tasks were rewarded with plastic carrots. Acquire enough of these, and the contestants would move on to Endgame, where they had to lure the rabbit into a fake garden and trap it for a monetary prize. This was a real game show in the Who UK. Was the target audience? I keep like going back and forth between children and adults and fam. Like, who is this made for? 
So this acid trip nightmare only yeah. lasted nine episodes before the BBC one canceled the show. Nine episodes is like two seasons in the UK. Also, how did this get past? Have you not seen what nudity they're putting on the air? I don't think there's a really like fine screen for like testing to get things on the air. Okay, I, I understand the nudity, but this like acid trip robotic rabbit. But again, are we talking, is it for kids or is it for adults? Or? I think we're going to have to watch this on YouTube later. For the <sighs> oh, boy. So let's face it. Game shows are stupid and cheesy, but that is part of a DNA of a game show. Yes. Like if there wasn't a sort of cheesy aspect to it. Yeah. You know, Price is Right has its sort of 70s throwback with its you know font of like, the logo and colors and and like the pretty girls who bring out like now they the, have to have pretty boys yes pretty people <laughs> um i guess jeopardy and wheel of fortune really are that cheesy but you still have vanna have doing you like not heard Trebek's like fake accents that is true any opportunity <laughs> Like the bird, like question can be about Turkey the bird, and he'll still bust out like a Turkish accent. Like it's bad. <laughs> he's also probably so bored from doing the exact oh, same thing. Yeah, that that's why he's doing this. Well, I understand they film like all the episodes for an entire season in like a two week span, and then he just has like his entire life to go off and live. Which how do I get that job? <laughs> like, I know. well, they do sh- they do um, do like four a day. Mm-hmm. So I was reading an article about someone who was co- so was competing. So you actually have to bring like four outfits with you uh-huh. in case you in case you win and continue on. So you need like different outfits to make it look like it's different days. Right. So, yeah. So uh, game shows are always around. So I wish ABC luck with Holy Moly, but I can honestly say I won't be watching. Honestly, it's like I told you, like between that and like PGA tournament play being broadcast. I, I see the point of neither, and I'm more likely to watch the mini-putt one. That is true. Because there's going to be a, a level of funniness to that. Yeah. Bright colors, fun times. Yeah. Um, I think the wackiest and worst game show I'd ever heard, it was somewhere in the Middle East, and the prize was a baby. They had, like, families who, like, couldn't have children or, like, wanted more children. And, like, the competition led up to them winning a baby. Dear God. Although I was reading uh, after I had done this and I only added the scare the hair was the William Shatner. Ooh. There was a William Shatner one where it was just like beautiful women holding suitcases. You're now just describing let's make a deal. <laughs> and like, uh, like randomly Shatner would like, have you ever seen Family Guy? Yeah. When he's like Stewie does his sexy parties. Yeah. That's literally what would happen randomly in, like... Oh, man. Or, like, the the models holding the cases would start, like, hula-hooping, or... This is why men can no longer be trusted to make shows. Or Shatner. Or Shatner. Uh, and the other thing I was thinking of... Um, were you a Friends fan? Yes. So Joey competed, or was, like, auditioning to be a game show host for a show Bamboozled. And, like, they were helping him practice for the audition by, like, playing the game Bamboozled. It was just wild. Like, it was, like, card gate tricks and, like, cups and trivia questions. There was just no rule. It was, like, Australian rules. No rules style. 
And so my friend Rachel is a huge Friends fan, and we worked together for a while after university, and um, the boardroom had a TV in it, and when we were doing mindless work, we would sit and watch daytime TV while doing this mindless work. TBS literally ran something very similar to Bamboozled. And I swear, we watched it all summer. None of us could ever figure out the rules. <laughs> there seemed to be no consistent through line. So Rachel or anyone else listening, if you know the name of that show, please let us know what it is so we yep. can find clips of it because it is bonkers. <laughs> so I will probably be posting to Facebook this week some some links to finding Don't Scare the Hair. Please do. <laughs> because everybody needs to see that acid trip. <sighs> Who's the audience on that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll do some investigating. We'll figure it out. Yeah. So my story is another gift for you. Uh, during last week's episode of the snake oil story, you mentioned you wanted me to tackle goop. And that seemed a whole lot safer than the whole Britney Spears conservatorship mess, which you also wanted me to tackle at some point. I do want you to tackle that at some point. <sighs> Stay out of that. But my story this week is my impressions of Goop. I've never been on the website. Maybe once I hit the landing page and I was like, I want no piece of this. And I took off. I did several lunch hours worth of deep dives. And it's a good thing we're good friends because it would not have survived that. <laughs> Plus, Goop just opened its first brick-and-mortar store in Canada, so it kind of seemed like a good time to do it. Toronto, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that store, uh, what caught my attention was the following headline from the Toronto-centric news blog, Narcity. And that title is, Health Canada has removed these products from the Goop Toronto store on its opening day. (laughs) Way to go, Health Canada! Yeah. So on Saturday, June 8th, the first Canadian store for Goop opened and they were immediately visited by federal health inspectors (laughs) who demanded that they remove several of their products from shelves. Health Canada said that upon visiting the store, they discovered two sunscreen products that were, quote, not approved for sale in Canada. The products were labeled by Goop as natural and with no questionable chemicals. And the problem is, under Canadian law, natural health products must be tested for harmful or undisclosed ingredients before they are legally allowed to be sold in the country. Someone was doing their job that day. Woohoo! Another hate reader of Goop. Put two and two together. Uh, So while you can't buy these sunscreen products in person anymore, you can still buy these items from the Goop website and have them shipped into Canada, which is totally legal and doesn't need Health Canada's approval so long as it's for your own personal use. So I think it's this... It's a loophole that was accidentally built into a law before online shopping became a thing. And I would suspect it's a loophole that will be closed pretty soon in the future. Hopefully. Hopefully. So medical superwoman Dr. Jen Gunter was quoted in this uh, blog from Narcity. Um, She did caution Health Canada to close that loophole and said, quote, these products don't always contain what they say. Sometimes they are adulterated. And she also warned that some of these things could also interfere with your medication and maybe you're on a drug for epilepsy and maybe it's going to make that less effective and could make you have a seizure. So, like, Dr. Jen's not messing around here. Don't use Goop products, like, that are unapproved for sale in Canada. Yeah. Throwing that out there. So here's the point in my research where I took the plunge and I visited the Goop website for probably just the second time in my entire life. And the last... And the last. If, like me, you had an angry newfie in your life to tell you all about Goop and didn't need to do it yourself, you may not be too clear on, de- on the details, so let me enlighten you. From the About Us section, 
the uh, writers of the website say, quote, we believe that the little things count, that good food is the foundation of love and wellness, that the mind, body, spirit is inextricably linked, and we have more control over how we express our health than we currently understand. We believe in making every choice count. We also believe in buying fewer things that are better, which is why we both make and curate incredible products across beauty, fashion, wellness, and home. And what follows is a list to links to shop in those various departments on the website. Of course. From the history section, Goop was launched in 2008 out of Gwyneth Paltrow's kitchen as a homespun weekly newsletter. She created this newsletter to organize her, quote, unbiased travel recommendations, health-centric recipes, and shopping discoveries for friends, and also as a place to get her own questions about health, fitness, and the psyche answered. So, a white woman with a lot of money and too much time on her hands. Yep. Ran a blog. That's my takeaway. The company's values are, and I quote, We take a curious, unbiased, open-minded, and service-centric approach to the work that we do. We test the waters so that you don't have to. We will never recommend something that we don't love and think worthy of your time and your wallet. We value your trust above all things. Mm-hmm. So now, they of, value, value the wallet above yeah, all things. Yeah, there's a lot of questionable statements in those four little lines. <laughs> I don't think they're all that interested in your well-being. <laughs> but anyway. So I'm just going to go section by section on the website to give you some of my first impressions. I didn't get through all of them. but I Because got there's a lot. There's a lot. But I did get through a few. So I will point out, though, that every time you go to a new page on the site, you get a pop-up asking you to sign up for their newsletter. So thanks, but no thanks, Gwyneth. <laughs> like, you keep Gwyneth. your nonsense out of my inbox. <laughs> So the first one I went to, probably no surprise, it's the first one in the list, is the shop tab. Of course it is. Yep. On the landing page of the shop, we have a scroll bar of GP, read Gwyneth Paltrow's picks. On the day that I visited, this included a $415 A-line mid-length denim skirt and a $205 striped cotton t-shirt. Now, I had both of these items when I was a dorky preteen, and the entire look came from GT Boutique and cost my mom probably around $30. Yeah. So do not spend 600 plus dollars for this look. Well, when I did this in our early years, mm-hmm. we talked about, what was it? Those pants that were like $600 and they were fugly. Yes. That is a trend that continues as we shall also discuss. So I also checked out their sales tab because I'm conscious of my budget and I just don't have a thousand dollars kicking around for one outfit. The cheapest item on their sale list the day I visited was a $6 egg cup. And the website wisely doesn't say what the original price was, but it comes from a collection where a single salad plate will set you back about $24. So if you were to buy eight, think of that, and then add dinner plates and bowls and egg cups. I would like to point out that for the $24 you'd spend for one salad plate is basically like half of my entire dishes collection from Ikea. Yeah. And you know what? Food tastes the same. (laughs) Exactly. There are a lot of books listed in the sales section, too. Probably no surprise uh, when you hear that some of the future titles include The New Rules of Marriage, uh, Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life, and The Happy Medium, which is described as part autobiography, part groundbreaking guide on navigating the energies of the other world. So some of these authors have MDs or PhDs, but I don't think they should use them. Well, we discussed that. Yes. Like, these people should have their medical license taken away from them. Yeah. You get to be wrong, but you don't get to be loud and wrong. Yes. Yeah. 
So I wanted to check out the other end of the spectrum. And so I organized the sale, quote unquote sale, uh, tab via the most expensive to least expensive. And for the budget conscious, if you have an extra $1,956, you can get yourself a mid-length dry clean only floral print skirt with a print that is aggressively 70s. Like, I think we had some of the similar fabric, like kicking around my mom's sewing chest while I was growing up from like leftover when she used to make her own clothes in the 70s. It looks a lot like that. Or curtains. Or curtains. grandmother's house. Yeah. It's like this red and white and pink flower in a diagonal stripe on a skirt. It's not, a, it's not a good look. And you'd be paying 2000 bucks for it on sale. They don't list the original price. That's like Kanye's homeless look yes. of ripped sweaters that he was charging like $1,000 for. Yeah. When you can go and buy yourself like a six pack of Fruit of the Loom t-shirts for $6. Yeah. And they look exactly the same. Yeah. Just stain them up and yeah rip some holes in them you're good yeah very similar so if this two thousand dollars skirt is too expensive for you uh well then why not try the one thousand six hundred and sixty six dollar tan wool coat with faux god i hope fur in both blue and pink on the lapels so for ten dollars less this is the second most expensive item it's a tan like pea coat looking thing and it has like baby blue and powder pink faux fur on the lapels. It is probably the most hideous thing I've ever seen in my life. And for $2,000? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. <laughs> you could have mink paw for that. Yeah. But summer is here, kind of. So I checked out the new arrival section and filled up my cart with a $75 sports bra, $345 cheetah print furry flip-flops, and 350 white denim short shorts. Furry flip-flops? Yep. Like the cheesy tacky ones that like, quote-unquote, sexy people wear to bed. Oh, the fur is like on the... Oh, the whole thing is covered in fur. Oh, God! Like, How yeah. dirty that would get! Well, you're not wearing it outside is what I'm hoping. True. Yeah. Still! <laughs> Questionable. So these items were just in the first 30 results when searched cheapest, most expensive. And uh, the $75 sports bra was the cheapest item of what you can buy in the new collection. I love my girls, but not $75 for a sports bra. I would pay $75 for a regular bra because I buy them once a year during the Boxing Day sales. And they're good for the entire year because yeah. I take very good care of them. Because I need them <laughs> to survive. Otherwise, I have like $2 sports bras kicking around that I wear to go grocery shopping. Yeah. Let's be clear. She also recommends that with a $75 sports bra, you don't forget to buy the $86 bicycle shorts that match. Yeah. Going the other way in these new collection, the most expensive item is a cotton poplin sleeveless summer dress for $2,059. For literally... Something very similar that I got at Walmart for $16 last time I was there. Yeah. Things get much more reasonable with the second most expensive item, which is another cotton poplin dress with three-quarter gathered sleeves and pleated skirt for budget-friendly $1,715. Good lord. Yeah. Uh, at this point, I started doing some addition in my head, and I got hella depressed thinking about my mortgage payments and the last four tops I bought, again, all from Walmart, uh, for less than 20 bucks a piece. So I decided I was done with the shopping tab and to move on. Beauty is the next tab. 
again, because it has the most saleable products, I'm assuming. Beauty at Goop balances, and this is a quote from them, so, Beauty at Goop balances the luxury of pure sensory delight of the highest quality skin, hair, makeup, bath, and body, fragrance, and personal care essentials with some of the strictest standards in the clean, non-toxic beauty space. Too bad that it's not allowed for sale in some countries, because you're just making stuff up at some point. (laughs) Well, like, in Canada, the nice thing about, like, when you buy, because I buy a lot of, like, natural like beauty products yeah. um they are tested which yes. they are not in the states because it says natural and lots of people go oh that doesn't there means there's nothing bad in it but lots of bad shit are natural too uranium is natural exactly <laughs> uh, you know i just try to basically avoid parabens and sulfates it can pay havoc with my hormone levels right where i already have polycystic Plus, I just like the Live Clean stuff, but, like, I tend to buy Live Clean. I'm not spending, like, tons of money. Right. Um, although I do spend a ton of money on my face stuff, but it's because it's my face. And yeah. I actually have a routine that sort of works. <laughs> I'm not as red as I used to be. <laughs> so this beauty section, while it may be trying to present itself as a blog site for various beauty hacks and remedies, it seems more like a really long walk to sell you more of their products. Oh, yeah. Titles for entries in their kind of blog sections include a single ingredient face oil that's moisturizing, nourishing, and pure magic on skin. What is blue tansy oil and how can it help my skin? And the genius overnight secret for smooth, healthy hair. What it looks like, though, is those ads at the bottom of clickbait websites Mm. where, like, if you enjoyed this thread about a guy who met his wife at the grave of her father, see here. Like, it's like... It's just more clickbait ads, stuff like that. However, I had to find out about two Aryan-looking chicks who have their morning routine that, according to the headline, includes sex and single cinnamon rolls. Like, that's one of their, like, running bits on the website is, like, morning routine of, like, very effective people. What do they do when these two women, like, apparently have sex and cinnamon rolls? At the same time, that would be no. sticky. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, when I saw the head, I was like, together? <laughs> But no, they're both married to other people. Yeah. So, so I just mean, like, do they eat cinnamon rolls while having uh, sex? Yeah. That's, that's again. the sticky. Yeah. It's no, all sticky, but. I'm going to go into the recipe and you're going to see how it's not. Okay. Uh, so I was wondering how they're going to monetize this article. And it took me one line to realize that it wasn't going to be hard to figure out. The article is an interview with best friends Whitney Tingle and Danielle Dubois, who are co-founders of the healthy food delivery business, Sacralife plug number one they are currently working out of manhattan but you can also pick up their cookbook that's about to come up plug number two while they have different morning routines they quote agree on many things goops insta facial juice beauty mascara and a particular kosas blush slash highlighter compact plugs three four and five if you're keeping track and conveniently there are links to the locations on goop where you can buy each of these products of course yeah then they walk their readers through about two hours of their respective morning routines, and between them, in those, I'm going to say, no more than 300 words, they plug 23 products and services. Holy! Yeah, I counted. It's 23. Below their morning routine slash sales pitch for items uh, are links to four recipes for their upcoming cookbooks, one of them being that cinnamon roll recipe. And it looks familiar if you know how to make cinnamon rolls from scratch, but it's the ingredients that sound real questionable slash expensive to me. 
So those ingredients include potato starch, white rice flour, mucuna purines, which is a Chinese herb rumored to boost mood and libido, xanthan gum, and psyllium husk powder. Oh, it's gluten-free. Yeah. The filling probably only comes out to about a half a cup when you mix it all together, but the recipe says that you may not use all the filling and that's okay. And if I'm forcing myself to eat the science experiment of a breakfast pastry, you better believe I'm stuffing all the good stuff that there is in it. But like when I say good stuff, like this, for some reason they're trying to pitch that, what was it, like all natural palm sugar is better than just regular sugar. Again, your nutritionist will tell you it has the same glycemic effect on your body. Yeah. So don't spend like the $20 for the teeny tiny bag of this stuff. Just like buy white sugar and call it a day. Like, yeah. Let's call a spade a spade here. Yeah. Let's be if honest. it's a sugar, it's sugar. Yeah. So on the whole food um, tread trend, I hopped over to the food tab. And again, you land on this website and are immediately inundated with ads for goop products. And it's like a smorgasbord. <laughs> Wordplay. Of food trends. Uh, Keto, paleo, rosé, CBD. It's like Pinterest exploded and shards landed all over Goop's site. Shards or shards? A little bit of both. (laughs) The Goop philosophy on food is apparently, and I quote, Food means a lot to us at Goop. Whether you're a passionate cook or a non-chef in need of an easy sheet pan dinner on a busy weeknight, or you've decided to try a full-on health detox, We've got all kinds of recipes, ideas, videos, and even shopping lists to make your time in the kitchen an easy, fun, and for the most part, healthy as possible. This is also where I realized they don't capitalize the G in goop anywhere on the website and uh, drove me nuts because the grammar Nazi in me is yelling at the screen like it's a proper noun. Start capitalizing it. Yes, they're using it as a proper noun. Yes. So while I was scrolling through the clickbaity looking uh, stories on the food site. Uh, The story that caught my eye was entitled Working Girl Summer Detox. I'm a girl. I work and it's summer. So let's see what it says to me. I also picked it because they didn't even bother trying to hide the product that they were going to try to sell to you. It was flow water, like little like cartons of water. And it was right in the like bespoke illustrated image that they used with the picture, like with the story tag. So I was like, okay, well, they put it on Front Street on this yeah. one, so good for them. Under the title of the article, in teeny tiny text, they let you know that it was written, quote, in partnership with our friends at Flow Alkaline Spring Water. So again, being up front. Sponsored. Sponsored material, yeah. yeah. The intro reads, quote, if ever there was a time to want to feel easy in your skin, summer is it. So here's a plan for a simple early season reset. Three days of delicious, nutrient-dense, lighten-up menus that keep your kitchen workload light. No matter how busy you are, these meals and your favorite flavored waters to go with them keep nutrition and hydration high. I'm going to guess nutrition is, uh, or no, flavor is going to be low. But anyway. Yeah, there's only one recipe that uses spices. Yeah. (laughs) Bland. <laughs> so your cleanse days will start off with a yogurt bowl, but not just any yogurt bowls. They're recommending you use unsweetened coconut milk yogurt and a grain and refined sugar-free version of granola. Then they offer you some kooky inspiration on mixing up your toppings. Day one, why don't you try raspberries and blueberries? Ooh! I know. Day two, mango and passion fruit. <gasps> and Living day, on the edge. I know. Day three, buckle up. Bananas, dates, and cacao nibs. Oh, there is no money in the world. If I have to give up chocolate because I become diabetic or whatever, I will never eat 
Mouse shit that is cacao nibs. <laughs> For lunch, you'll be having deconstructed sushi, tacos, and antipasto bowls, which all sounds hellaciously expensive because one of their pro tips is go to the sushi counter to grab your cooked brown rice, pickled ginger, and tamari, then grab a seaweed snack pack from the snack aisle. Sure. Deconstructed sushi. Isn't that just a rice bowl? That's exactly what it is. <laughs> Uh, also, it's clearly written for readers in big kind of urban centers. because they're Whole Foods and stuff? Yeah, they're assuming that there will be, like, a salad bar in the grocery store. And, like, yep. sorry, we don't have that at the small country village, so I've got to make my own rice. What? Ugh. Ugh, <laughs> oh, Gwyneth. <laughs> oh, and each lunch has a suggested pairing for the flow-favored water to go with it. Of course. Of course, that's where they monetized it. For dinner on day one, you'll be having ginger sesame chicken salad, which is just baby kale, red onions, and two chicken breasts. Literally, that's all that's in the recipe. Like, that's it. Like, no other vegetables. No, there's like some sort of like wishy-washy dressing. But like, I tend to do salads with more than just two things on it. And a tremendous amount of protein chicken. Like, that's a lot. That is a lot. It's two chicken breasts. Yeah. I mean, it might be a two-person serving because they call for two and a half cups of baby kale as the salad base Ugh. yeah that's D a lot of kale it is oh there's more of it on buckle the horizon up. yeah buckle up for a day of kale for three days of kale <laughs> dinner on day two is kale pistachio pesto pasta with peas try to pack more peas in there if you can <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> So the recipe is two and a half cups of baby kale, a third of a cup shelled pistachios, and chickpea pasta. And the cup of frozen thawed peas is probably the cheapest thing in this dish. Because if you're making your pesto with a third of a cup of pistachios, that's expensive. Yes. Uh, also, I don't know if you can technically call it pesto if it doesn't include cheese. Well, cheese, pesto, if it doesn't, does it include basil? Traditionally, yeah. Yes. Basil or tomato, and that's pine nuts. Not tomato. It's uh, basil, pine nuts, and parmesan, or pecorino romano, and oil, and, and garlic. And then there's ones that are, to there's a tomato pesto. Oh, I think that's like a, oh, a yeah, like a take on pesto. Yeah. yeah. But like, Sunday. I like pesto. Yeah. I don't think you'd like this very much. <laughs> no, God, no. <laughs> Have you met me? <laughs> no part of this sounds good. <laughs> Day three, get excited for white bean and tomato stew with kale. Woo! Kale! <laughs> At this point, I'm 90% sure Goop owns a kale farm because over the course of three days, you've used about eight cups of the stuff. This stew, however, calls for spices, something absent so far throughout your three-day cleanse, although there have been some herbs used. Uh, but the spices used requestable to me as it calls for cumin and turmeric together. Now, I'm not a major fan of either of them, but usually you use a geographic sense when you're trying to put your spices together. And one of them is a South American spice and the other is an Asian spice. So I'm not even sure that they'd go good together if I yeah, care that's... to try the combo. It was a whole weird thing. Uh, also, this recipe calls for a can of cherry tomatoes, which I've never seen. Is it canned? No, yeah. I've never seen a can just, of Just cherry. use regular cherry tomatoes or like a regular can of tomatoes. Like, don't go all bougie. I'm assuming they chose this because it's like the fancy expensive option wherever they're shopping to do recipe development. 
But yeah, is it like diced or is it whole? Why would you dice a cherry tomato? I don't know. <laughs> Why would you have cans of cherry tomatoes? Yeah. Save yourself the, I'm sure, five to six dollars and get the dollar sixty nine version of canned tomatoes. Or the pint of fresh cherry tomatoes, if that's where you want to live. Like, call it that a day. There is no finish slash wrap up on this story on the website. You just get a bunch of ads for cookbooks. So really, what's the detox here? Sure, there's hardly any carbs, almost no meat and no sugary products, but it's basically just an augmented plant-based diet. And I'm not 100% sure you'll be getting enough protein anyway to keep you going throughout the day. And so that you're not going to get like hangry by two and then have to have a conversation with Deborah and HR about appropriate <laughs> workplace behavior. Like, <laughs> you need more protein than this. And if you're coming off of sugar, like a high level of sugar in your diet, you are going to get cranky fast. Yes. Like, big bad way. Yes. So the only thing that had protein was the first salad with the two. Ch- so yeah. they're expecting you to those two chicken breasts that you had yeah. the first day to carry you through for the three days. I even tracked back to see if like some of the bowls like was a combination of rice and legumes. And like one of them was, the others weren't. There was some edamame in one of them. So I guess that's a protein, but like not enough to yeah. be a full serving of protein. Like I don't advise this detox, no. I guess is where I'm going. <laughs> You don't need to detox people. (laughs) So at this point in my notes, I realized that I'm not going to hit each section of the website like I thought. So let me do one last one. And I was intrigued by the men's tab. Ooh. Yeah. Since I figured this website was geared at white women who either have or aspire to having a lifestyle that involves very little, if any, actual work. (laughs) But a lot of disposable income. That's what. Like, I think we both aspire to that lifestyle of winning the lottery and not having to work for our money. However, I don't care if I won $60 million tomorrow. I ain't buying off goop. No. No, I'm also not spending $2,000 for an ugly-ass coat. No. Me either. No. Uh, So, speaking of the men's tab, though, um, right on the landing page, I was not disappointed uh, because this is what you're greeted with. It's a big, flashy block of text. Quote, we live with them, work with them, and occasionally marry them. So we felt it was time to give the guys in our lives their own space on Goop. So this part of the website doesn't actually appear to be geared towards men so much as the women who take care of them. Because most men, I assume, were like, my husband is like, what is Goop? (laughs) I don't understand the letters coming out of your mouth. Yes. Like, none of this makes sense at all. Yeah. That's a trend. This will continue. Story one, of course, is grilling related, because what else did the boys like but fire? But unfortunately, it's grilling vegetables, so no meat. I think they missed the mark there. They missed a lot of marks. (laughs) (laughs) That's the story of this. Of goop. Uh, Below the grilling related story is links to shop for men's clothing, specifically the G label men collection, which is quote, a collection of quality made in Italy essentials cut to stand the test of time and trend. The black long sleeved ribbed boat net sweater will set you back $450. The cashmere hoodie is an eye popping $525. And if you want a simple Mr. Rogers style cardigan, $495 little man, put that shit in my hands. No, I'm sorry. Put that shit in Gwyneth's hand. That's true. So what kind of articles do the editors of Goop think will appeal to men? Well, we've got tech, testosterone, and something titled The Science of Shamanism of Psychedelics, which features a rainbow of colors. So it pops from the page, which is very bland and blah. 
uh, that also features a naked woman on it. So uh, subtlety is lacking in this area. <laughs> also, I think subtlety is lacking as an overall theme. Yeah. What caught my eye, though, of the clickbaity style stories was one titled Difficult Conversations with Friends. And it had the following preview. And this is a quote from the person at the interview in the story. I was in eighth grade the first time I remember hearing some really awful trash talking rights, chef Seamus Mullen. I didn't say anything. I have never forgiven myself for not standing up for what was right. So look, I'm not saying there should be a difference in how men and women approach interpersonal conflicts and friendships. Like, there's a way to do it. If you see something crappy happen, like, stand up and say something. So I'm not saying there's a difference. What I am saying is that this article was written by women for women because it's a lot of, like, kumbaya, hand-holding, like, crap that our mothers told us to do that, I mean the guys I know would just settle with a punch and call it a day. Well, and I think you say there shouldn't be, but there is definitely, because there are just cultural, by nature, differences between men and women. Yes. Right? Like, we are not the same in how we function by nature of how we were raised, those standards that are put on us that are different. Um, Boys will be boys. Like, you know, yes, there's a lot of cultural differences, but also there's just a lot of just straight up how our minds work and biologically how we respond to things that are just different. So I personally don't think too many men are going to have very much luck uh, approaching another guy or a girlfriend and saying, hey, listen, I'd like to bring something up with you. Is that okay? Or I have something to get off my chest. Is that okay with you? This whole idea of, like, taking on the emotion to yourself, like, saying, like, I was uncomfortable when you did this, or I was uncomfortable when this happened. Like, these are cues that women get taught very early to make, like, the socially uncomfortable situation our fault for feeling socially uncomfortable. Yeah. So that's why I think this article was written by women and for women, and they just found, like, good old Seamus to, like, slap his mug on the front cover of it. That's just me, though. So, the outline, which at this point, I was so happy to get off of Goop. I can't even tell you. Um, I appreciate you taking one for the team for me. <laughs> so, the website, The Outline, has an amazing article from about a year or so ago titled The Unbearable Wrongness of Gwyneth Paltrow. And the subtitle is Please Do Not Buy Into Her Bullshit by Yvette Dantremont. So, Dantremont asks if Paltrow is, quote, just a dedicated health seeker taking us on her path for ultimate physical and spiritual well-being, and then answers her own question, quote, no, Paltrow's group is pure, unadulterated, blood diamond-free, organic certified, biodynamic, moon-dusted bullshit, and you should avoid it at all cost. And then Dantremont lays out where the problems are. The first is that uh, Paltrow is focused on the wrong types of toxins. She wants people to stop eating them slash using them in their beauty routine, but then will post stories that feature alcohol, which is a toxin, which is why you get sick when you consume too much of it, or will admit to smoking at least once a week. And then for every toxin she wants you to stop coming into contact with, she has a convenient product that you can use to swap out your regular in your routine for this new toxin-free version. She encourages you to put weird things into your body. It's either Yay. it's either a super expensive vitamin slash supplement or a super expensive egg-shaped rock to shove up your badge. She's focused on one body type, a newsflash. It's very expensive to get and maintain. Your diet and workout routine are going to be expensive, and Paltrow is not shy when she tells her readers that she pays $30,000 a year for her personal trainer. Because we all aren't 
<sighs> because most of us were not born with that sort of wealth. Yeah. Because she was born into a wealthy family. Oh, yeah. She's become wealthy in her own right yep. from her acting gigs and from people giving her money from mm-hmm. her goop. Please stop. Yep. People. But, like, oh, my God, that just boggles my mind. <laughs> Other problems, she's constantly pimping out diets. And sorry, but as a lifelong fat person, I will tell you that no diet actually works. Uh, you have to eat a balanced diet and exercise, and that's the only thing that will work long term. Otherwise, you're just going to yo-yo it back on and then some, because that's how the body works. Yeah. She cavalierly dispenses medical advice from a horde of questionable quote-unquote experts and will use terms like suspect instead of double-blind peer-reviewed findings. So you can't say that this vag egg is going to fix your problems, but you suspect they will versus having a double blind peer reviewed medical scientific study you having done. She's big on this on the website. I understand. (laughs) Uh, The advice that she'll give her readers one week can and usually does counter past advice or it will counter future advice. And there's never any acknowledgement of that. And when real experts step up and say, uh, no, to something she suggested, there's never any apology or acknowledgement no, that they she was wrong. Those people. Yeah. So my problem with the entire site is that it's an effort to tell you something that you probably don't need for way too much money. Rather than spending three of my mortgage payments on a skirt, uh, I would really rather people take that money and look into donating it to charitable organizations that are doing something like giving children clean drinking water or food in uh, drought-affected areas of the world. Or even, I'd be okay with you hoarding that money for your kids and your grandkids, but it makes a lot more sense to do that than to buy an ugly skirt for $2,000. If you got $2,000 to spend, buy something at least nice. Yes. So my takeaway is uh, down with goop, and I'm never going back to that website. Oh my god. And happy birthday, Andy. (laughs) I still have to do goop conspiracy theories. Yes. I didn't even get to those pages. There's so many pages on that website. And it's like, just all product, product, product. Oh, yeah. I was or blown away. crazy people selling their books, like the medical medium, which is the product, product, I, product. Yeah, it's just, oh my God. Like, I, I knew of it, obviously. And I knew that there was, like, a sales component to it. But I had honestly thought it was a blog. I didn't realize that it was just a store masquerading as a yeah. blog until I actually dug it's in. It's even gotten worse. Like, they had... When I did it a year ago, there was still, like, their tabs for selling. But, like, there was a lot of these articles about from this guy who was basically promoting his book. But it's not like every third line had a link to right. a product, which is now a lot of stuff. Yeah. Right? Like... I mean, 23, like plugs for items in less than 300 words that's insane yeah it's nuts but anyway i'm done with goop you can go off and be goopy all in your own world i'm i'm out i'm done i've learned my lesson it was a very cheap lesson to learn too <laughs> for me at least Ah, <laughs> uh, just what i think it comes back to is people are desperate for solutions to problems that they probably a don't have yeah or B, aren't willing to go and get the proper solutions for yep. So they look to people like this and it's like, okay, well, Gwyneth says that I can, you know, increase my libido by shuffing this jade egg up my vagina. Whereas if you'd actually gone to your doctor, they could have said, hey, maybe this, you know, hormone level is a little low. Here's the ways you can actually increase it and see an actual increase. Or maybe you're no longer attracted to your partner. How about some therapy to fix that problem? Yes. 
Well, that is our show for this week. Uh, if you would like to connect with us, head over to our website, www.rabbitholespodcast.com. On that website, you can find our merch tab. We are less obnoxious than Gwyneth is about selling our stuff. Uh, so don't lump us in that category. Yes. But we have no jade eggs, people. No jade eggs. Although, <laughs> we should look into it. No. Uh, so check out the merch tab for the link to the store. Uh, also check out our support tab for the link to the Patreon page. Come aboard as a patron. You get lots of good benefits for that. Uh, if you want to reach us directly, you can email us at rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about a rabbit hole that you enjoy or one that you would like us to dive down for you. You can also reach us on the socials. On Twitter, we are Rabbit Holes Pod. Uh, on Facebook, we are Rabbit Holes Podcast page. And on Instagram, we are Rabbit Holes Podcast. See us there. We're pretty active throughout the week. Um, and I'm now starting to learn Twitter just for my job. Yes. So, uh, yeah. So eventually Andy gets to take over Twitter yeah. and I get to disconnect from that cesspool of humanity. Did you know that the half-life of a tweet is 24 minutes? That makes sense scroll too fast yeah uh and you can if you like us give us a review or rate us you can find us on itunes again facebook or anywhere that you get your podcast please leave us a review that bumps up our profile but also we like hearing that you like what we're doing Yes. And speaking of that profile, we are one of the two founding groups for the Ottawa Podcast Festival, which is coming to Ottawa on August 24th, 2019. Uh, so if you want more information about the show and the lineup and all that good jazz, head over to www.ottawapodcastfestival.com. So other than wishing you a happy birthday, I think there's only one last thing to do, and that's to say that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Bye, guys. Bye.